I want to share with you this morning um, about the Father's invitation to intimacy. And uh, I, I hope that that's something that you're seeking, it's something you want, is a more intimate, deeper, face-to-face -face relationship um, with Father God. You know, it's what we were made for. We can just go ahead and put up that uh, next slide. We were made for face-to-face -face intimate relationship with God as Father. That's how life began. And that's how God intended for it to continue. I was sharing this morning with the Ephesus students. You know, we go back to the beginning and, and look at creation. You can read Genesis chapter 1, how God simply spoke. He gave, gave a royal decree and uh, bam, you know, everything came to being. And, uh, but when it comes to the creation of man, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, the camera kind of zooms in and we get, we get the detail and uh, it says there uh, that God formed man from the dust of the ground, from the dirt, you know, like a potter forms a vessel with clay. And then he, you know, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I want you to just picture that scene uh, for a minute. You know, everything else God did, he just spoke, just ordered, and there it was. He didn't do that with man. He got personally, intimately involved. He got his hands dirty. And then once he formed this vessel, this man, he could have just said, come alive. But he didn't do that. He gave him mouth to mouth. <laughs> you know, God breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. And poof, man became a living being. And so suddenly, when there was intellect, emotion, sensation, all the things that, that make us human, when that all came into play, that first man, he was face-to-face -face with Father God. And I, I really think it was love at first sight. And, it, you know, that's, that's what we were made for, intimacy, this connection where we know and we are fully known, where this other being has complete access to our life and we have complete uh, access to him. But... Um, we know that it didn't continue that way for Adam and Eve. They uh, made a bid for independence, and uh, they broke their, their relationship with Father God. And since that time, uh, there's a struggle. There is a tug of war between independence and intimacy. And these two things are, in a sense, they are mutually exclusive. Let me, let me give you an example. Marriage, okay? I have this uh, wedding band on my finger. What, what does that mean? That means that I am not available to any other women. There's, there's one woman uh, that, that I'm in a covenant relationship with, and uh, I had to give up my freedom, you know, to, to have any other woman because I committed to that one, and, and the same for her uh, with me. It's this exclusive relationship. If you want intimacy, you have to surrender independence in order to get it. But there's this, there's this tug of war. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, that healthy independence or, you know, being a self-starter or, you know, being able to plan and just move forward in life. But, but I'm talking about that thing that says, this is my life. And I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. And you can just keep your nose out of it. But there, there is a, a struggle between independence and intimacy because we want both, most of us. But we can't really have both. You know, we want this intimate thing with God, but I also, I, I want to keep my options open. 
You know, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And we got this tug of war uh, going on. And I want to look for a minute quickly at the roots of that. And then we're going to talk about how to, how to get beyond it. I want to look at the roots. I want to look at the reasons. And then we're going to look at the story of someone in the Bible named Moses and see how he got past it and got through it. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.14, kind of a strange scripture. This is a touchy passage where the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, men and women uh, and, and their relationships in the church. But uh, he's talking about Adam being created first, then Eve. And um, he says here in 1 Timothy 2.14, it was not the man who was deceived. He's talking about the temptation. You know, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden where the serpent... Uh, tempts and deceives Eve, and she takes the fruit, and then she gives to her husband who was with her, and then he took it, and bam, you know, and because they wanted to be like God and have their, their own determination of what was good and evil, and so they could be independent and do their own thing. Well, the Bible says something here. It says that it wasn't the man who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, ladies, unless you think this is like a downer on you, it's not. Back up a minute and think about this with me. Did Adam eat the fruit too? Did he disobey God too? Was it just Eve? Of course not. They both did it. But the Bible tells us here clearly that Adam was not deceived. Whoa, what does that mean? Eve was deceived. You know, her head got turned. She got into this conversation with the serpent, and it just, you know, in the, in the moment, it just seemed to make sense. And it's, you know, this tree is desirable to make one wise, and you open my eyes. Adam wasn't deceived at all, and he was there the whole time, right? So when he took the fruit, it was a deliberate decision. He did it with his eyes wide open and said, I will do it. I know what God said, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And since that time, there is this root of independence, of, of, of rebellion in us, that when somebody draws a line in the sand and says, don't cross that line, what happens? Immediately, you know, something just like rises up in you where you're like, I mean, you can see it in a two-year-old, right? Tell me original sin isn't real. You know, there is just this, there is just this thing in us that challenges and that rejects authority and that we, we, we want to do, we want to do our own thing. You know, we want to prove that we're the boss of our own lives and we want to have control. And uh, <clears throat> this is a generalization, but for men, generally this manifests as, 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 as this, I will not be ruled. You're not the boss of me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's my, it's my life. For women, it tends to manifest often as, I will not be vulnerable. You're not going to get that close to me. <clears throat> and so independence, you know, it, manif it develops and it manifests in different ways in us. But, but that's, that's um, you know, that's, that is uh, the, the, the root of it. And so we want our independence, but we also know that we need connection and relationship. And we want that too. And so there's this tug of war going on, and we struggle. Have you ever noticed that relationships are complicated? Mm -hmm. That it sometimes it's difficult, and you're trying to work this thing out because you, you want what you want, but you want connection. And you, oh, you know, and the other person, oh, you know, when I was um, <clears throat> little, I mean, from the time I could remember, I just had that 
stubborn, independent streak in me where I couldn't understand why somebody else should have the right to tell me what to do. I mean, I'm talking four years old, five years old. I remember when I was like four and a half, five, it's just before I started kindergarten, I decided that I was going to go live on my own. I didn't, I didn't want my parents telling me what to do anymore. I, I, you know, I just wanted to do my own thing. And so I announced to my mother that I was running away. And, uh, you know, my mom was a wise lady. She didn't freak out. She didn't scold me. Uh, she called my bluff. She said, oh, honey, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm going to go live on my own. I don't want to be here anymore. So she said, well, you know, we're going to miss you, but can I pack you a lunch? So um, I said, well, okay. So, you know, she, she packed me a nice little lunch in a brown bag with a sandwich and an apple. I think she may have even, like, done the stick with a little you know, thing, bandana with some things tied up in it, and, you know, and, you know, she let me set off down, down the street, and, uh, you know, I got down to the end of our street, and, and around the corner, and I thought, oh, where do I go now, you know, so I, I thought, well, maybe it's a good time to eat my lunch, so I sat there, and ate my lunch, and as I'm sitting there eating, I'm kind of looking around, it, like, began to dawn on me that I still needed the family and a roof over my head. You know, so I swallowed the apple, swallowed my five-year-old pride, and, uh, you know, I went back. And, you know, my mom didn't, you know, she didn't even say, see, I told you so. She said, oh, you're back. I'm so happy. You know, and, uh, you know, I think on one hand, she wanted to maybe encourage my sense of adventure, but she wanted me to come to the realization on my own that I needed people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I continued to struggle with that through my life, and, and sometimes I still have those tendencies to just be on my own and do stuff on my own and not communicate and, and not connect uh, the way I should. And it frustrates people. So I, I am, I'll just confess to you, I'm still learning myself in, in, in this thing. Uh, what are some of the reasons, though, that we might kind of withdraw, hang out in our own corner, be stubborn about doing our own thing? Well, a couple reasons behind independence here. Just that natural inclination some of us have. To just some, you know, there's some that are just more warm and huggy and they just want to, you know, be connected all the time. And then there's other people, I just, I just like to be by myself. I just want to do my own thing. You know, when there's the group thing, the bus trip kind of thing, you know, some of you are all about that. And then, I, you know, I was like, no, I don't want to go see that stuff with 10 other people. Mm -mm. I want to do it on my own because I want to do what I want to do, you know. Um, might be natural inclination or it might be. Broken trust, some kind of betrayal you've experienced where you decide, ah, yeah, I tried that, not doing that again. So, uh, you know, I just shut those doors, and I'm going to play close to the chest. I'm going to keep everything to myself. I'm not going to share too much information with anybody because that will give them power over me. So I've had broken trust. Or maybe a big one is abuse of authority, whether it was in the home uh, or in school or, or workplace where you've been abused uh, just verbally abused or manipulated or pushed around by abusive authority, and you're, you're like, I'm not, doing, I'm not putting myself in that position again. And so you're very suspicious of authority, and, and you feel very uncomfortable when you even hear the word authority. I, I can tell you, some of you right now, when I say authority, it feels like a curse word. It's just like, ooh, it does something to you. Uh, for some of us, just Rejection. You know, you opened your heart to people. You were working in some church thing or some youth group thing. Or, and, you know, you're giving it your best, and somehow something didn't work out, and you got rejected. Like, fine. Sayonara. See you later. Uh, you know, have a nice life. <laughs> um, you know, and you, you just, I'm not, I'm not getting involved like that again. I'm just, I'm not doing it. It's not worth it. Well, 
I want us to look together uh, quickly at the story of Moses. Um, We'll go to Exodus chapter 3. I wish we had time that I could just sit down here on this step and uh, maybe just read you the story from the beginning of Exodus chapter 1, chapter 2, into chapter 3. But we don't have time for that today. So just a show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the story of Moses? You know, the details, how at the time he was born, uh, the Hebrews were in bitter slavery uh, in Egypt. They were being oppressed. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was trying to keep the nation from multiplying, and, uh, you know, they felt threatened. Um, and eventually he even made a decree that every baby child, every male child that was born, they would just throw him into the Nile. Can you imagine? Nice guy. You know, order that babies be ripped out of their mother's arms and just thrown into the Nile where they would either drown or the crocodiles would get them. Um, And uh, Moses was born. His mother hid him uh, for three months until she couldn't hide him anymore. She had this bold plan, made a little boat out of a basket and, uh, you know, put it on the edge of the Nile. And pretty soon Pharaoh's daughter comes down. She hears his baby crying. They pull this basket out. And uh, she knows, you know, this is one of the Hebrews' kids. And she takes pity and she adopts him. Uh, turn of events, uh, Moses' own mother gets to be his nursemaid until it's time for him to be weaned, which would have probably been three years old, three and a half years old, and then he goes to live in the household of Pharaoh. So when you look at Moses' life, like we, we see the big picture, you know, we have, uh, you know, how he was such a great man of faith and uh, rescued the nation out of slavery and really established them as a nation and brought them into covenant with God. We, we see all that big stuff, and we're like, oh, Moses... Um, he didn't see all that growing up. And it was, it was complicated. Let me just give you um, a, a little rundown of Moses' life. At the end here of his life, here's what the Bible says about him. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Wow. Moses, towards the end of his life, got to a place of face-to-face intimacy with God. But it wasn't always that way. He had you know, a life of privilege. Imagine, he's raised in the household of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This is like God, you know, to the uh, Egyptian nation. Um, He had all kinds of privilege that uh, his Hebrew people that he came out of would never have had as as slaves and, and servants. So he's got wealth, he's got privilege, he's got the best education, uh, everything going for him, one would think, looking on it from the outside. As a matter of fact, I think it's in Acts chapter 7 where uh, Stephen is recounting uh, the nation of Israel's history. He talks about Moses and said how he was schooled in all the wisdom and learning of the Egyptians, and he became mighty in word and deed. Well, Moses didn't see it that way when he was in the middle of it. Um, think about this man with me. Put yourself in his place. You are taken out of your family, your home, your birth culture as a three- or four-year-old, and, and suddenly you are put in this strange place with these strange people, and um, so he begins to grow up there. He's cared for, has the best of everything. Um, but he begins to realize that he's not, he doesn't look like these people. I mean, genetically, they're different, Hebrews and Egyptians. His nose is not the same shape. His skin tone is not the same. And uh, as he grows up, he would have begun to notice those differences. And, and he would have just felt different. Like, yeah, I don't really fit here. And I'm sure that other people in the household... I know how these things work, you know, I've ministered for years in Africa, and often if a family takes in a child from another family, even relatives, they are not treated like 
the rest of the family. They are reminded all the time that they are not a son or daughter, that they are different. And I'm sure Moses would have been reminded of that. And uh, <clears throat> so he didn't fit. Uh, he grew up. This is the man. The man who is the father figure in the house is the man who is commanding babies to be thrown into the Nile. Right? Nice guy. If that's how he was with the public, imagine what he was like at home. This guy was probably had, you know, he probably had serious anger issues. Talk about abuse of authority. This is what Moses grows up with. And so he grows up and he begins to see abuse of authority. He begins to see terrible injustices happening all the time. And you know, as, as a kid, as you're growing up, you get into your teens and you begin to understand things in the world and injustice. And, you're outraged, you know, you're like, something should be done. Well, Moses is growing up with all this, so his, his early life, it had to be complicated. It had to involve not only privilege, it had to involve a lot of pain as he grows up this way and, and um, you know, just trying to figure out who he is and where he fits, and as far as he can see, he doesn't really fit anywhere. He's abusive authority. I'm sure he was wounded by that all along uh, growing up, so he's got an identity crisis here, and uh, the Bible tells us that when he was about 40, uh, you, you know, he made his decision to identify with the Hebrew people. He makes, he, he finally, like, has this epiphany. I'm not Egyptian. I'm, I mean, he knew he wasn't, but now it's like in here how he saw himself. I am not with these people. I belong with these uh, persecuted, suffering people over here, and I'm going to take my stand with them, and I'm going to do something, and his sense of justice, you know, rises up, and... Um, the, the, the Bible tells us that he went out to see uh, his, his Hebrew uh, people, you know, at work at their hard labor, slavery, and he sees an Egyptian foreman just ruthlessly beating a Hebrew. And I think all these years of living under abusive authority, of hurt, of pain, of not fitting in, of, of feeling injustice, of seeing injustice. It just boils up in a moment, and he looks around, and he just he kills this guy. I don't even know if he had a weapon. Might have done it with his bare hands. He was so angry. There was so much frustration, pent up, and he kills the guy and buries him in the sand, and he thinks, I'm with my people. I'm going to deliver my people. And uh, so, so he thinks, yes, I finally found my place. I found my purpose in life. Here it is. This is and the next day, he goes out again. <clears throat> and I think if you did something like that and, and, you know, for these people on behalf of these people, you would probably expect people to be patting you on the back and high-fiving you. Yeah, Moses, you're the guy. Well, he sees two Hebrews fighting and striking each other. And, he, and again, he's just, he's got to do something. He tries to intervene. Why are you hitting your brother? Stop. Well, this guy, he gets in Moses' face, and this is where Moses has a very rude awakening. He gets in Moses' face and said, what? What? Were you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday, huh? They're like nose to nose, I imagine. What this guy is saying is, we don't like you. We don't trust you. We don't really know who you are. You've grown up in Pharaoh's house, and now you're, what, you're going to come and help us? I don't think so. We don't need you. Whew. Can you imagine how Moses feels about now? He thinks he's finally found his identity, found his people, found his purpose, and in a moment, it's just crushed. Of course, word gets back to Pharaoh's household. He wants to kill him. And, uh, you know, so now Moses makes his big decision that was going to define his life for the next 40 years. He's like, you know what? I'm done. I am so done. 
I don't need these people. I don't want. I tried to help. I tried to get involved. I had, it d- didn't work. All I got out of it was a lot of hurt. I'm done. I'm. Pff- and uh, he hightails it out of there to Midian, you know, the backside of the desert where there are more livestock than people. But even there, you know, he gets out there, he arrives, and he's sitting down, resting, and there, there are these wells and watering troughs, and these uh, seven daughters of Jethro, the priest there, uh, you know, they're drawing all this water to water the flocks and herds. Huge job. And just as they finish drawing all the water, these other bad boy shepherds come and you know, they're going to chase them away and take the water for themselves. Once again, here's injustice happening. Moses can't stand it. He's got to get involved. You know, as so he jumps in, deals with that situation, he becomes like a small town hero. And uh, Jethro invites him to live there. He marries one of the daughters. And, um, you know, some people have suggested that those 40 years on the backside of the desert, like Moses was suffering, you know, he was just waiting to get back into action. No, he wasn't. He was happy as a clam out there. He was just like, this is nice, more animals than people. I I like that just fine because, you know, I don't need people. I'm fine just out here in this quiet corner of the world, by myself, doing my thing, minding my own business. It's easier that way. Maybe some of you, you know, you got involved on some level, some church thing, some ministry thing, and, you know, you got hurt. You got hurt so bad it just blew you out of the water, blew you out of church. You just, I don't need that anymore. I'm just going to go hang out in my quiet corner. And, you know, you're disillusioned, but you don't, you don't know how to even put that all together, how to process it. So you're just hanging out in your corner. Well, that's Moses. This is his, his uh, brand of independence. I'm just going to hang out by myself. I don't need people. And so one day, Exodus 3, let's quickly get to this. Exodus chapter 3. And Moses, uh, verse 1, was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. This is not just a bush. This is ambush. You know, God is, is he's ambushing Moses, and he's going to get him into something that Moses has no plans to do. Um, but he gets his attention. Moses turns aside. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So Moses starts to come. Then God says, stop. Don't come any closer. Well, what is going on? We can go to the the, the next uh, slide here. You know, Moses, you know, if somebody calls your name, what do you do? You come. Well, no, unless you're a teenager. Then you say, what? (laughs) But (laughs) for Moses, the way he was raised in his culture, somebody calls you, you come. So he just, and this is the voice of God. He just, there's something in him that automatically, he just starts to come. And then God says, stop, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. What's going, you call me to come, now you tell me to stop? Which is it? What do you want? Is God playing games? No, God's not playing games. God is wanting to get at something critical that Moses is going to have to deal with before things can uh, continue. So so what is going on here? Is it because... uh, you know, Moses is a shepherd, and he's probably got sheep poop on the bottom of his sandals that, you know, God says this is holy ground. You can't, I don't think it has anything to do with 
uh, physical dirt. It has nothing to do with that. The ground where Moses is, has got the flock, there are thorn bushes. These acacia th with thorns like this long. It is very uh, rocky, stony ground, pretty much like where I worked in West Africa and Mali. And uh, you're not going to walk around barefoot because a five-inch thorn is going to pierce your foot or the sharp rocks are going to cut your feet. Uh, you don't really go anywhere without good shoes. And uh, so God says, stop. Place where you're standing is holy ground. He said, I take off your shoes before you come any closer. You see, God calls us to intimacy with him, uh, but there's a condition. There's a condition. This relationship is special. It's, you know, he says the ground is holy. Not, uh, yes, the physical ground because God is there, but it's not really about the ground and the dirt and the, the, the sheep dung. Uh, it's about a relationship. This is a special relationship relationship. And what would happen if Moses took off his shoes and left them over here and then kind of, you know, tiptoes around the rocks and the thorns to get closer to God and they have this conversation? Well, now Moses has given up his right to run away. And I think God did that because God knew that once he started to unroll the plan, Moses wasn't going to like it. And Moses didn't, you know. It, it, you can read the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4, and it's basically uh, God saying, Moses, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've seen the suffering of my people in Egypt, and I'm sending you to deliver them. You're going to set them free. Moses, oh, Lord, we're not going. I, I tried that. It didn't work. I'm not interested. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Uh, the next two chapters is Moses arguing with God. And basically saying, no, God knew that if Moses had his shoes on, he would have been out of there. But he's basically given up his ability to run away. And so he's kind of a captive audience. And he's, he's probably looking around like, is there any way I can like, get out of here without you know, cutting my feet to shreds? And uh, The next two chapters, they argue. God says, but, but here, I'm going to give you these signs. Here's a rod. I'll, you throw it. It becomes a snake. Put your hand in your cloak. Pulls it becomes leprous. Put it back in. It's healed. See? I got you, Moses. We're going to do this. Uh, and well, Lord, I can't really talk that well. I, who made man's mouth, Moses? Come on, I'll be with you. I'll teach you how to speak. On, they go on for two chapters, and finally, at the end of it all, what does Moses say? Okay, Lord, you convinced me. No. He says, Lord, send someone else. <laughs> and then God says, I've had enough. I'm sending your brother Aaron. He's going to be with you, and uh, you, know, you guys are going to go together. You're not going to do it alone. Uh, the point here that I'm coming to is just this. This command for Moses to take off his shoes, it was simply God saying, you need to, if you're going to enter into this thing, and we're going to do this thing together, you need to give up your right to run away when you don't like what you hear, when you don't like what you see, when you get confronted and it doesn't feel good, uh, when somebody is telling you you need to do X, Y, Z, and you don't want to do it. Uh, you need to give up your right to run away when you don't agree with what the pastor is, you, you know. Um, I'm not saying that we can never change church or that God never moves us on. Uh, but this independent streak that it's just my life and I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want. And if I don't like it here, I'm running over there. The problem is you take yourself with you. Some of you students here, you might run into a situation here with fellow students or with staff or leadership. And you're like... And it's just going to poke some sore spot in you. And you're like, I'm out of here. I'm, well, you can do that. 
but you're going to take you with you, and you're going to take your sore spot with you, and God's going to touch it somewhere else. And, uh, you know, you can run and run and run, and God will chase you, chase you, chase you, but it's better if you just take off your shoes. If you just say, Lord, I am giving up my right to run away. And at the end, Moses did, he said, yes, Lord, he did it. He went, Aaron went with him. Now, did God promise him that uh, he would never get hurt again, that he would never be rejected again, um, you know, that this time it was all going to just be fine? No. As a matter of fact, it got worse for a while before it got better. You know, at one point Moses is there confronting Pharaoh. He's doing these miraculous signs, and things are getting harder for the people, and they're going, gee, thanks, Moses. We were fine, but, you know, you're just making it worse. And Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know, it's not working. As a matter of fact, you haven't delivered your people at all. And Pharaoh's mad at God never promised it would all be fine. What he promised is this, I will be with you. And in the end, that's all you really need. Everything else is just details. God offered Moses the promise of intimacy if he would forsake his independence, if he would take off his shoes. And at the end of his life, never was there a man like Moses whom the Lord spoke to face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow. That's what God calls each one of us to. But there is that condition. You can't just keep plan B in your back pocket and keep your shoes on, you know, ready to just split as soon as you don't like something. You've got to give up your right to run away. So we're going we're gonna to close. If we could just stand up, and I want us to open our hearts to the Lord. And, you know, maybe you've already dealt with this with the Lord. Maybe you've already, you know, surrendered that independent, I'm going to run my own life thing. Uh, but maybe you haven't. Maybe... Even this last week, God has been touching you, and, you know, some things have been uh, uncomfortable, and you're kind of looking at the exit sign. There's an invitation to intimacy, but the condition is take off your shoes. Say, Lord, I'm letting go. I'm giving up my right to run away. I'll be where you want me to be because I know I'll be there with you. And the promise of his presence will be something you can experience in a deeper way than you have up until now. Let's pray. Lord, you know us intimately. You love us deeply. Uh, your plans for us are good. But Lord, life is, is complicated in this world. Relationships are hard. Um, so many issues we, we struggle with. Uh, but Lord, we don't want to slow down the process of you healing and strengthening and training us and forming us. Lord, we want to cooperate with that process. So Father, Give us grace to say yes, to give up our right to run away and to simply be where you want us to be, surrendered, open, obedient to you. If that's you this morning, you, you just want to do that. Can you just, I, I have my eyes closed, so I don't, I don't care, but just lift up your hand as a sign saying, yes, Lord, I'm taking off my shoes. It feels scary, but I am giving up my right to run away. And I'm going to stay put unless you pick me up and move me. Thank you, Lord. It's the promise of his presence. Lord, I pray that in these coming days, weeks, months, that you would reveal yourself. That you would make your presence known. Lord, that 
your children would experience depths of connection and intimacy with you that they've never tasted before. Because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man everything that God has prepared for those that love him. But God is revealing those things to us by his spirit. Lord, we ask you to do it. Give us grace to walk in that surrender in Jesus' name.